Cocktail College is brought to you today by Tanqueray. Make a spectacular something out of almost anything. Let a Tanqueray cocktail elevate your moment from, oh, nothing fancy, into damn fancy. When sipping a Tanqueray Martini Negroni or whatever your favorite cocktail is, you can't help but feel damn fancy. It's no mistake the iconic green bottle is shaped like a cocktail shaker because Tanqueray elevates cocktails to create a unique and memorable experience. Head to www.tanqueray.com today to get damn fancy cocktail inspiration from Tanqueray. Hey, this is Tim McCurdy and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Much like Rob Gordon in Nick Hornby's High Fidelity, who was portrayed wonderfully by John Cusack in the movie, by the way, I'm a big fan of esoteric top five lists. To the musically-minded Gordon's top five side one track ones, I can counter with, say, my top five movies that take place over the course of just one day. But if you ask me, or pretty much anyone I'd assume, what their top five cocktails named after a train are, I'd be able to offer just one. But it is a fantastic drink, and it serves as the topic of today's episode. It's the 20th century cocktail. In this London-born gin-based creation, creme de cacao plays an unexpectedly spirited supporting role. Like Jack Black's Barry Judd, if you want to continue the high-fidelity analogy. I'd rather move on, though, and introduce our wonderful guest, Meredith Barry, who is the co-owner and operator of both Platypus and New Society in St. Louis. Some have billed this cocktail as a corpse reviver with that aforementioned chocolate liqueur in place of Cointreau, but not the way Meredith makes it. Nope, she stopped by the virtual studio to talk ratios, customization, Kina Lillet, or is it Lillet, and saline solution. All that and more on this week's edition of the Cocktail College Podcast. Oh, and Dazed and Confused, in case you're wondering. Best movie that takes place over the course of just one day. Can you hear that, listener? That is the sound of the train conductor shouting all aboard as we embark on another Cocktail College episode here. And I am thrilled to be joined by Meredith Barry. Meredith, thank you so much for joining us. How's your day going? Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's it's rainy here in St. Louis. Rainy and cold. Rainy in St. Louis. I think that's what they say about St. Louis, isn't it? I'm not sure. Yeah, we, we, we've, we've received a lot of bad weather here in New York, too. And, um, you know, being a Brit, that is not something I will ever tire of talking about. The weather. The weather. Yes. Well, I lived in Chicago for 15 years, so I very aware of the weather. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, I mean, that's a nice little accidental tie-in perhaps to today's cocktail. You know, the train reference at the beginning was was, was slightly planned out, you know, and and there's a reason for that. And the link between Chicago and New York, you know, you have Mark Bolin with the 20th century boy T-Rex, but this is the 20th century cocktail. Meredith, tell us all about it. Um, in a nutshell, before we get into the history, which I love of this drink or the naming, but tell us about the drink. What's the elevator pitch? The elevator pitch? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, hey, you know, like I have a, I feel like I have a connection myself to this cocktail because I'm originally from Long Island. I'm originally from New York. And then I lived in Chicago for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm a connection, you know, like, <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I feel, I feel, uh, I've even taken, uh, the train ride on the Lakeshore limited, uh, from, uh, union station in Chicago to Penn station in New York, which kind of travels along the same route that the old 20th century limited, mm-hmm. uh, railway, um, basically like a, you know, express, a passenger train uh, took from Chicago to New York. And that's where, you know, what that was the inspiration for the cocktail, Mm -hmm. which was the 20th century limited uh, train. And it, uh, it was made by CA Tuck Mm -hmm. in 1937, who was British. So it's interesting that it it was like a American train. I wonder, uh, yeah, that's, it's it's interesting, isn't it? That that, that a Brit would come up with it, but um 
apparently, according to Wikipedia, which I always trust, um, this the, the 20th Century Limited was known as the world's the most famous train in the world. So um, right. maybe it was. Maybe it was that famous that someone in London's naming a cocktail after it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure why exactly he decided to be inspired. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's documented anywhere. Maybe we should ask uh, our cocktail historian, mm-hmm. Mr. Wondrick. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure why he decided to be inspired by that uh, train, but it, probably because it was the mm-hmm. most famous at the time and what, like it was um, under 20 hours or was 20 hours to get to Chicago to New York, which was a big deal. It was like under like four hours or something like that. I, I, I wish that I had had the opportunity. I mean, I, you know, this is getting into a, a side topic here, but is there anything better than train travel or any better mode of transport than a good train. It's pretty cool. I find it magical. Mm-hmm. Like I really do. And I I always like I've had this dream of like being on one of those old train cars that kind of like uh modern uh mid-century modern yeah. vibe and and in the cocktail bar and looking <laughs> at all of the sights. I mean, I just it, it has a very like what's the word? I, I don't know. It's just, you know, because it's not nostalgic for me because of course I never, <laughs> but it just seems, it seems like such a cool um, experience. And that's probably why I went on the train from Chicago, mm-hmm. Chicago to New York on the Amtrak. It was fantastic. Honestly, I, I loved every second. I got a sleeper car. Oh, nice. I felt like I was like, you know, back in the day I sat at the, this really cool, um, glass, you know, uh, viewing station kind of in this special cart. I mean, it was cool. It's a, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, this was, uh, you know, again, I've kind of read into this, but seems like this was very much for kind of VIPs, high rollers, this, this train, they had the red oh, carpet yeah. out. I think guys got given a carnation when they went on board. I think women, maybe perfume. Um, and one of the fancy, most fun things. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Fancy. Uh, and then there was what this cafe century on board that after the last sitting for dinner they turned it around and it became like a disco or a bar or something or a ball. So uh, yeah, sounds like a great trade. Yeah, it sounds like a great party. Mm-hmm. I, I probably wouldn't have the money right now to be on a train like that. <laughs> no, like the one percent. I bet. <laughs> yeah. um, and they say once you once you go on it, it spoils you forever. So you just spend, maybe it's just better the, the likes of us that we don't get to have these experiences. Uh, um, but back to the cocktail, I guess this is a cocktail show. Our train podcast is uh, yet to launch, coming twenty twenty five. But tell us what is it? If 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 you recommend this drink to a guest, and they said twentieth century cocktail, never heard of it. What is this drink? Um, I mean, it's a very. I mean, it's a sour essentially. Um, I guess you could also say it's in the same vein of a daisy, probably, because it has, you know, lemon and uh, some modifiers. But I guess to a guest, I would be like, oh, it's refreshing, herbal, bright, and then this really cool base that just sneaks in there of cacao. <laughs> and it's just is like this really cool finishing Slingy. surprise where you're like, what is that? Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is maybe, I don't know. There's a grasshopper, right? I'm trying to my my mind is kind of blank on any other um, acceptable form with which to consume creme de cacao. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's a little harsh. Uh, Tempest Fugit, I think, do a wonderful job. Oh, Tempest Fugit is probably my favorite, mm-hmm. definitely hands down. That one's really, really fantastic. Little, you know, a uh, little vanilla in there. Mm-hmm. It's really lovely. Little um, brightness sneaking in with that cacao and it just like tastes like the the fruitiness of the cacao comes through but it also is still dry at the end mm-hmm. and so I like that because then I think using a drier cacao or any kind of liqueur in general if you have it's easier to modify a cocktail for your guest yeah right so I could be like oh well I can add a little bit more or I can add a little just an eighth of an ounce or a fourth of an ounce of simple some of that fat to balance it out for the guest if they don't like something as dry or citric forward. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm in the mood for that too. So, <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. It is just a, a, a kind of lingering note, as you mentioned before, right? It's kind of, 
around there. It doesn't really drive the cocktail. Uh, no, I, it finishes it. It finishes it, yeah. Yeah. Which is great because, again, I've seen this described as a perfect after-dinner cocktail. Would you say that is the best occasion for enjoying the 20th century? Um, Sure, because it has, you know, people typically see chocolate as being the finishing of, mm-hmm. you know, and the herbaceousness. And of course it has an aperitif or, you know, that uh, has um, bitter notes to it that can potentially help with digestion, right? Mm-hmm. And the quinine that's mm-hmm. in there and the quina lele, but which we don't have right now. So, but you, uh, that was what discontinued in like 1980 or something like that. Yeah, 19- yeah that's sadly, we'll never know what... Uh, a true 20th century cocktail tastes yeah. tasted like. We can get close, though. We can get close, yeah, for sure. Coqui Americano, Tempest Fugit has their own Kina. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really fantastic. A little bit more bitter. I think the bitterness is what it is. But an after-dinner drink, like, I think you can drink it at any time. Like, who's to say? It's not like the grasshopper that we mentioned there is, you know, a sibling in a way that... You kind of have to have. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's kicking That's off a, a meal with a, with a grasshopper. Yeah, um, I really, yeah, I wouldn't pair it with food. But this, because it has the acidity and it has the gin, like I think it could be a before dinner or an after dinner drink. Mm-hmm. And I think even, I mean, it, what we know of chocolate, I think you can pair this with food as well. Mm-hmm. Like I don't see why not. Like I think the cool thing about this cocktail and what kind of drew me to this cocktail when I first read about it um, when I was really young, just starting off in craft cocktails um, 20 years ago I, or something like that, <laughs> <laughs> um, was that it was a surprising flavor combination for me. So I didn't expect it. And I think that's, and it's just that little bit, that tiny half ounce or a fourth ounce, whatever you prefer, of cacao that really changes in this cocktail, which is just a gin, like really just a gin sour with some with with the lele, you know, with the bitter notes and stuff. But yeah, it kind of is. And and uh, but it's um, you realize like, oh, what's cool about this drink is that what if you did a fourth of an ounce of banana liqueur? Ooh, what if you did a fourth of an ounce of like different flavors and balance them out? you know, with um, another aperitif wine. Um, What if you use a different kind of gin? Gin has this massive, um, such a massive uh, spirit, like the the umbrella in which it is. Like the spectrum of of, of flavors and varieties. The flavors of the gin is so, um, I mean, what if you use a tomato gin. Mm-hmm. Tomato and and cacao are really cool together. Yeah. Like, why can't you go like kind of more savory? Why, why not? It is and, such and, a and that's fascinating. What's cool yeah. about that cocktail is like you can do a London Dry, you could do a citrus forward gin, you could do a cardamom forward gin from like Lifted Spirits has like a bold with more like black cardamom coming through. That would be delicious with cacao, that finishing touch. So, how do you, that's what's cool about this drink. Like, Oh, I can use a different kind of gin and bring different flavors out of the aperitif uh, aromatized wine that I'm using and the liqueur that I'm using or the cacao. And you can still stay true to that cocktail, but in a wildly different, you know, flavor spectrum. I think yeah. I think that's where my brain goes with it. I love that idea of using the the cacao and chocolate and as that's the thing. I mean, that is what makes this cocktail unique, but that's where you're revolving around, right? Like that's that's your starting place and then working from there, whereas maybe traditionally we, we think of the base spirit first and the brand that you're using for that, right? And you work from there. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into the ingredients. This is maybe kind of backwards here, but I want to speak about ratios real quick because this is actually something I've seen come up in uh, Reddit, someone was talking about they'd made this cocktail. Uh, they might have been British because I think they were using milliliters rather than ounces. But um, they went for the equal parts formula. And, you know, I guess another thing you could say about this as an aside, sorry, is it's it's a corpse reviver number two, but you're using uh, creme de cacao in place of orange um, Cointreau. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I mean, if you know a court survivor number two, there's a chance you may have heard of this drink. I don't know. Slightly more esoteric. Anyway, 
the point being, someone had made that drink and said that they really weren't getting enough or a lot of the creme de cacao, which led me on to learn that Ted Haig perhaps may have once printed a formula for this where it's one and a half ounces of gin or one and a half parts of gin and then three quarters of everything else uh, of Maybe creme de cacao. I don't know. I'm I, I'm getting confused here. All of which is a long way of asking Meredith. Uh, do you go for the equal parts ratio for this drink, or do you want to amplify maybe one ingredient ever so slightly? Yeah, I I think a one point five ounces of gin mm-hmm. is where I would go. Okay. Um, mainly because I mean, if you when I kind of think about it, I also am thinking about ABV level. Yeah. And playing that in so. I rather just have a balance of the flavors of the gin, the aperitif wine, the citrus coming forward, the um, sugar and fat elements so of the sour and the sweet and the bitterness. And so in order, I think, to balance that, I'm a two, three quarter, three quarter kind of person. Okay. Good uh, to know. Not two, one, one. <laughs> um, so in that way, I think that two, three quarter, three quarter is just like a golden ratio. And so when you play with fat, yep. uh, I think, you know, one and a half ounces of gin, I think three quarter lemon, I think a half ounce of your aperitif. Well, I'm three quarter, you can go through, I would say three quarter and then I'm just a fourth of an ounce of cacao. Oh, wow. So you're really dialing that one back. I do. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I I'm put a little saline solution in there. You got to put some salt. Oh, you got to do that. Come on. You got to do it. This is salt the, and chocolate. Come on. This is the 20, <laughs> 21st century here. You know what I mean? We got we to have saline in there as <laughs> well. got to have saline in it. <laughs> it's a great point you make, though, because, like, look, if we do compare this to the Corpse Reviver, you know, Cointreau, if you're using that, you're talking 40% ABV there and you're replacing it with a, a liqueur that's a lot lower in alcohol. So, yeah, you want to maybe balance that by pushing the gin up. Hadn't really considered that. That's a very good point yeah so i i would see it i see it more as like a gin cocktail with a surprising finish nice you know Mm -hmm. and i i I would i prefer it that way yeah if you're talking classic Mm -hmm. it just makes to me it makes more sense have you ever had this drink on a menu have you ever put this drink on a menu oh yeah i've put it on a menu before do you have to kind of hand sell in a way or kind of describe that the creme de cacao influence is going to be like smaller than you think? Because I, I I, wonder whether for the people that become attracted to the drink because of that, it's only just a hint. Or for the people get put off, you can be like, again, it's just a hint. This isn't what's driving the drink. Like, did you right. have to make that explanation when you had it on there? Oh, I don't even remember. I think, you know, I... I think with any cocktail that you're going to have to know your drink and know your guest and talk through it with them. Yeah. So I'm sure that just by my nature that I described, you know, the cocktail to Mm -hmm. people and and you do, you have to do that with any kind of cocktail and be like, all right. And then if you find that, that what the guest and I'm, I'm a big believer in this, just kind of understanding what it is that they desire and what their palate goes for and finding that information out that you can modify your cocktails if, you know, they're not batched. I mean, by modify in small doses, you know, let me (laughs) clarify that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, you can't be tweaking every recipe for for every single guest, right? No, no, but within reason, mm -hmm. right? And um, if within reason, I mean, adding in more citrus, if they like it drier, adding, you know, if they, if they do want more um, spirit forward, maybe adjusting, you know, by a quarter ounces or adding a little bit more sugar and kind of playing mm-hmm. with it that way or just completely going to a different cocktail. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you describe this as a gin cocktail first and foremost. So maybe let's do let's do a little exploration of gin here. Uh, first question: Are we sticking to a classic London dry, or are you saying you know what? There's a lot more out there. Let's let's get experimental. Knowing myself, there's just a lot more out there. <laughs> let's let's have fun with it. You know, um, I, I think that if you are not a juniper forward gin player. You do not have to be. 
There's so many options out there and that's what they're for. And there's plenty of art in a bottle yeah. to choose from. So, so we're, we're, we're avoiding London or we're, we're bypassing London dry here, which is good. Yeah, because you're not you avoiding it because I think yeah. if you like, you know, I would go with like a Plymouth. Ooh, okay. I like Plymouth. I think like Heyman's is great. I think it's affordable and fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, go, go there. I probably wouldn't tangeray it. I think it would just overwhelm. It's um, a very, I mean, I love Tanqueray. I, you yeah. know, and I love everything down to the fact that we're talking 47.3% ABV, right? I like that we know yeah. the point three is in there. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, it's, I'll be honest, I'll put my hand up and say I don't make a lot of shaken gin cocktails at home. I'm going for more stirred spirit forward. So uh, I haven't had, I haven't tried playing around with it too much in that. But I definitely feel like the prominence of of lemon, especially in something like a Plymouth, you know, really lends itself to that as well. I think we're slightly lower in ABV there too. I forget yes. exactly where we're at with that. Um, but some wonderful examples there. So we're not going as far as maybe... I don't know, uh, Nolitz with the with the roses and the, the whatever in there, which is very assertive, maybe works with the cacao. I don't know. Are we going that far? We're not going that far. I haven't tried it. Um, <laughs> I have not. It doesn't seem. Yeah. I mean, hey, if it's what you like, it's what you like. I might I might not go for that or mm-hmm. like a Hendrix because I feel like they would yeah. not play well with the other <laughs> We have, um, and this this definitely isn't a side, but and this is a look into the vine pair office here. But we do have this wonderful thing that we like to call the take home shelf because we don't always have enough space for all of the wonderful products we get sent, and we're thankful for being sent them. Um, so we get to uh, take some of them home sometimes. And I remember when we were clearing up some space on our gin shelf, we put some gins for staff to take home and enjoy. And someone did take home the Nolits, which again, for a highball or something like that, I think it's great. They went home and they made their partner a martini, themselves and a partner martini, and I don't think they made it past two sips. It's just a, <laughs> it's yeah. too, too fruity, too floral for that kind of drink. Yeah. And if you if you like a floral and that's like kind of like where your your palate goes, like for sure. But yeah, it's not it's not my go to for a martini. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, it's um, not. Yeah, I rather my floral stuff come from the vermouth that I'm using. So, do you want to get into aromatized wine here? And uh, let's let's set the record straight here. Is it Lillet or Lillet? And uh, even if it's wrong, I guess it's Lacroix and Lacroix, right? You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. when you're saying the right way to say it, it just still sounds wrong. Are we going Lillet? I mean, I, I guess I always say Lillet, and mm-hmm. um, because it's just I don't. I, it's just what I've heard, and mm-hmm. I'm not French, and I uh, exactly I come from you know. Uh, blue collar Italian American Irish family from Long Island, so I don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going with Lillet. I like yeah, it. I like I like the I like the way that rolls off the tongue. We're going pretty, with it. Right? Yeah, it sounds pretty. But we're going with that as the name. But are we going with that as the product? Because you mentioned maybe a Cookie Americano earlier. Because again, no longer available to us the the Kina Lillet, which was the classic. Um, we've had this discussion with bartenders before. Do you go with Lillet because that's the name, or do we go with uh, maybe something else, or are you going with a with a blend, perhaps, Meredith? Ooh, a blend. Ooh, I think um, I think the great thing is, like we've said before, there's so many different aromatized, fortified wines out there that you can kind of choose what flavor profile you want to kind of drive in the drink. Um, for me personally, I want something a little bit more bitter. I like more of those bitter notes to come forward. And I do think a Koki Americano works yeah. fantastically. It just, uh, it works in a Corpse Reviver. It's just, it is um, the the bitterness, the quinine that comes through, the balance of the bitter orange. I uh, I prefer it. Now, Lillet is now where it was before was more bitter. Yeah. And had more of those quinine flavor profiles coming through. And that's from Chinoa Bark. And what people would, a good reference is tonic for people if they don't, if they don't know the um, aromatized wine, mm-hmm. the Kina category. Uh, that famous one. Are, yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people don't know that. They know like the vermouths, but they're like, Kina Kina, what's that? And you're <laughs> like, oh, it's a total different area that's uh now i think a lot of people 
are making it's a, I think it's making a comeback. I think it's mm-hmm. there's a lot more out there. You're calling it you're calling this the category of 2024 an early prediction coming in there. <laughs> I don't know who said it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't quote me on that. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll say this though about Koki Americano as well, especially for something you mentioned earlier. You mentioned you might put a little bit of simple in this. For my palate, at least, Koki Americano has more presence texturally than Lillet does. I think of Lillet more like a vermouth in Koki Americano. We're getting, we're not fully there, but texture wise, we're almost like a kind of an Aperol or a Campari is where, where I kind of slot that in my mind. Is that something you perceive as well? Texture is really important, and you're right. I, and especially in this cocktail, when you see, when you see the original, it doesn't have any simple, it doesn't have any like that fattiness. It's coming from the creme de cacao mm. uh, and the aperitif wine. So yeah, the and that's also from like natural oils and how they're you know the process itself, not just like the sugaring. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think Coqui Americano just more velvety texture, yeah. richer, and so yeah, it's going to be really important in a cocktail like this. Yeah, Lillet is just really light, floral, white yep. flowers, very pretty. I mean, I can drink it on the rocks with a lemon twist. Exactly. I love it. But I think right now for, you know, to drive a cocktail like this to hold up against also that creme de cacao and making sure that the creme de cacao is that finishing, surprising, lovely base flavor profile that comes through for me mm-hmm. and in this build. Is is definitely this? This is your build. Yes, it is. <laughs> and Tempest Fugit makes a really great quina. Like it is yes. more, it is more bitter, and it does have great uh, texture as well. So I would say play with that as as well. I just use Koki because it's also um, price point in a bar. It, it does make a lot more sense. These are me. the considerations we need to be yeah. having. Um, creme de cacao. We mentioned Tempest Fugit there. Would that be a go-to? They're, they're definitely probably one of the biggest names in in the American market when it comes to high-quality bartender-approved liqueurs. And uh, I'm going to say oddities, but I'm going to say that lovingly. <laughs> yeah, they have some really, really cool oddities in the way of like trying to bring things from the past back yep. in a... Um, yeah, and 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 I think a lot of them they're luxurious. Um, that's a luxurious creme de cacao. Yeah, uh, and oh, their banana tastes like bananas. Foster, it's ridiculous. <laughs> we should probably yeah. point out as well that we're talking about uh, white creme de cacao here rather than the darker stuff because uh, that might look interesting to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> um, color is important mm-hmm. in this cocktail because if you use the dark creme de cacao it's going to look a little browner mm-hmm. than you want. And, 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 you know, I'm not going to say that that's, there's some brown cocktails out there and, and they're fine, but yeah, I think just the muddiness, I think it's better to have like a white creme de cacao. That's kind of this, that looks more refreshing and brighter. And that's kind of the, the point of the cocktail. Um, and Tempest Fugit, you'll notice does have a slight color to it. It's not all the way clear, but it doesn't affect the cocktail mm-hmm. I have I, found. It doesn't affect the color. So it's not super dark, but it does have like kind of this hint of a hint, a hint of the brown. Interesting. In from the natural cocoa. Yeah, but when you shake it with a fourth of an ounce, yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't affect the, the color at all. But a dark one. You know, Gifford has a good creme de cacao. They have great liqueurs as well. Yes. Yeah. So and that one's that one's nice. Um I do tend to and that's like gonna be a little bit more affordable than the Tempest Fugit. The Tempest Fugit is gonna that's that's where I I go to Koki and then I splurge on the cacao. Yep. At the end. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Again, you gotta you gotta be thinking about these things when you're you know you're running a bar and a bar program and you're trying to be profitable. Uh, you don't want to be known as the bar that um, went bankrupt because of their uh, 20th century cocktail. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that would. <laughs> hey, you know, I've I've been known to make an expensive cocktail or two, though. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I forget who it was. There's a, there's a famous old British chef or TV personality who had some restaurants who uh, went bankrupt because of his cheese board. The guy just had a ridiculous cheese board and that is some real dedication right there. (laughs) Dedication to the cheese board. Amazing. Um, I was just hanging out with um, 
Steve Beal, and he was a chef. He's a, like a whiskey aficionado, and he's a chef. Uh, he was a chef a while ago, and he was talking about uh, these eggs Benedict and these English muffins, and they wanted at the hotel, they wanted these English muffins to be pre-sliced. And he was like, nooks and crannies, nooks and crannies. And, he's, and they're like, no, pre-sliced. And he was like, it was like a three-cent difference. And he's like, and I walked out. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, stick to your principles, Steve. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I got to say, those English muffins do generally, I feel like they arrive sliced and I'm not sure why. But anyway, Eggs Benedict, one of the one of the best ways to kick off the day right there. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> and one of the best ways to end it with the, the drink we're talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> Got a couple more of those up my sleeve. Don't worry about that. Nice. Um, Meredith, I'm going to ask you now to commit to a ratio and a recipe and some brands here as if you were making a 20th century cocktail in the virtual studio today. Let's have it. Oh, committing to it. It's, it's difficult for me because I do see all the possibilities in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And now I kind of want to try it with that tomato, the Mileto tomato gin that we were talking. I really just had that idea like right now. I was like, Oh, I wonder what that would be like. Tomato and chocolate is so good together. Let's, so we're let's talking about that. like, that's one of the major quote unquote botanicals ingredients in that gin. We're not talking, or we're talking tomato based that that was. No, the, no, no. Yeah. It's a botanical. Okay. Yeah. Mileto tomato gin. Interesting. This is a new it's one for me. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You got to try it. I got to try that. Cause there's also kind of like that cool, like green stem of the tomato in there too. Here's something I never thought. Yeah. This conversation was going to get into, but uh, I imagine that maybe many of our listeners are kind of wine drinkers as well, or have you know very um, refined palates, and they know their know their way around a wine list. Cabernet Franc, often the tasting notes are described as tomato leaf, mm. and I have never once. I'm going to put my hand up. I have never once seen a tomato leaf. I've certainly never smelled one or tasted one, where did that weird tasting note come from? <laughs> Can you You're confirm? missing out. Oh, really? Yeah, you're missing. It's so good. I'm like a tomato fanatic. I love that. Okay, so you can, can confirm. every day of my life. <laughs> you yeah. can confirm that, that that tasting note is accurate or exists. I do. I think it's that greenness. It's, it's a, yeah, I and mean, it's very specific kind of, I can't even describe it like this, um, the herbaceousness and the greenness of the tomato leaf is very, and stem is so specific. Mm -hmm. go, go, go to the store, go get one of those little um, packages. You can even, you don't even have to go to the farmer's market. You know, you don't even have to grow your own, but there's like these sugar bomb tomatoes with the stem on and the leaves still there. They're really fresh. And honestly, they, they taste like candy. These nice. tiny little tomatoes and they're awesome for cocktails as well <laughs> um but smell yeah you can take take that stem take that leaf and like i don't know you can in, even infuse your gin with it and like add a little bit more of that herbaceousness and 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 uh it's kind of fruity at the same time because it's kind of like the tomato Ooh. have you ever just tried just the smell of the the skin of the tomato is different from the flesh like the flesh There's, and like, the pulp yeah too. interesting yeah um, I, well, I need to do that. I'm going to be the first person to get kicked out of Whole Foods for sticking their nose in a tomato, but um, <laughs> I'll commit to buying. But so that's really yeah. interesting. That infuses the gin that you're describing here. And then, you know, again, we've gone on a little tip, bit of a tangent, but why do you feel like that yeah. might be a good match for the rest of the ingredients here? Um, because I, uh, I mean, if we're just looking at food pairings in general, mm -hmm. um, I think tomatoes have a really cool, they're fruity, they're bitter. There's bitterness to them. It can be bright, but it can also be base. Like if you cook them, um, it's a completely different flavor and texture, of course, than if it's like raw. So, I mean, I think that the tomato gin and chocolate, tomatoes and chocolate to me just like make complete sense, like a mole, um, you know, like in, I just, uh, then the bitter notes, the, you know, the macerated herbs and fruits and oranges that come through 
in uh, Coqui Americano or whatever aromatized wine that you you know you're choosing, and it is wine. It's wine. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I think that wine and tomatoes and chocolate, and then all these botanicals also that are coming forward in the gin, these other herbs, um, and and the citrus. I think I just I I think that they play really well together. I mean, I would even orange and chocolate and olive. Yes. Like, what if you did an olive gin? Now I'm like going there because I mean. Like, why not? Like, let's look about it as how would you compose a dish, mm-hmm. right? And uh, those are going to be playing and dancing on your tongue just as much in a liquid form as they would if you were eating it. I mean, I love like a an orange, like chocolate cake with like olive oil on top of it. I mean, that sounds great to me. What a fantastic so. and complex combination of uh, flavors there and ingredients. So uh, are we going... I love you're trying to make me commit and I'm not committed. I know every time <laughs> every time I try and make you, you're just moving, we're moving further away from it, but I, I, I am going to have to hold you to one here. <laughs> I'm Pisces, so I apologize. It changes all the time. <laughs> so, all right, I'm, I'm calling it. We're going one and a okay. half ounces correct one and a half ounces of gin of the Um, tomato we're going tomato you want to go tomato i don't know i haven't played with it yet it was just an idea Uh, we're gonna an idea i don't think i commit commit to it i'll go i'll go with like a hayman's or a or a plymouth okay um playing it so yeah i'll commit to you for a classic (laughs) for a class and then i'll go um three-quarter coqui americano uh i would do three-quarter of a fresh lemon juice and then I would do a fourth of an ounce of the Tempest Fugit creme de cacao. And I would then do uh, like two dashes of saline solution or a dropper. And then um, I would shake that. I would start with, of course, my lemon juice, then cacao, then the uh, Coqui Americano, and then the gin. Oh, I and then I would add ice. I thought yeah, you were a thrill sorry. seeker there, just going expensive ingredient first, throwing oh, no, caution no. to the wind. <laughs> Right. Oh, please. No, I, I saw my bartenders do that. I would have a hard time. Um, so yeah. And then add ice, shake it a uh, nice good 30 seconds and then double strain into a coupe. Lemon twist. Coupe and a twist. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. That would be, cla- be classic. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like if you're going for the classic, I think that would hit all the marks for me. Love it. That sounds like a wonderful cocktail. Um, Meredith, at this point, I typically ask folks any final thoughts on today's drink, the 20th century cocktail, which I'm getting fed up of having to say the three words. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a long yeah. name, but I called it the 20th century earlier and that felt weird, like I didn't know what the proper name of the cocktail was. Anyway, at this point, we typically ask <laughs> if you have any final thoughts before we move into our weekly questions. Um, play with it. Have fun. You know, find what you like. I think that's the beautiful thing about cocktails. And the the ratios are there and they'll serve you. And then, you know, I I think have some fun. It's a little plug and play, but why not? You know, that's there's nothing wrong with that. So, uh, yeah, I just think that, hey, I mean, if you you got to drink what you like, you got to drink what you like. (laughs) So and the only way to find that out is to experiment. And so I fully support anyone going for it. <laughs> well, I love <laughs> yeah, 20th century all the way. I it's love that drink. we got the ratio down. We got the we got the <laughs> we got the recipe down. Um, and if nothing else, you know, bring back rail travel. That's all I'll say. Bring back rail travel. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get fancy on a train, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I need that carnation. Uh, and that red carpet that they used to roll out. There definitely is a photo of that on the Wikipedia page there, folks. Oh, there um, is? Yeah, just the red carpet. Cool. I don't know. Yeah. Um, didn't go down enough of a rabbit hole to see the actual train itself, but uh, I might. Hmm. I know what I'm doing this afternoon. In the meantime, yeah. though, <laughs> Meredith, I'm going to ask you question number one here today. And that is, of course, what style or category of spirit enjoys the most real estate on your back bar, back bars? At home, whiskey has the most real estate because I can't keep Amari in the house. It just, it just disappears. Mm -hmm. I don't know how. Um, So (laughs) the things that are mostly just stay on the back bar. And I have, you know, 
a good amount of uh, spirits to do um, R&D uh, at my home bar. But yeah, the whiskey just stays up there because I don't drink it very often. The Amari disappears. It's gone. <laughs> um, and what about at so, the bars? At the bars, uh, there is a large selection of Amari and liqueurs, I have to say. Fun oddities like we were talking about. We have a really good time with modifiers. I, I just, they're fun to play with. Um, we also at Platypus, my bar in St. Louis, we really, the guests um, really like Amari too. Mm-hmm. And we have an Amarageddon, we call it, behind the bar where we just put a whole bunch of Amaro into a old Jaeger machine and uh, chill it. And people are super into it. We've, I think it's a good balance. The, the other heavy part is whiskey because... Mm-hmm. We're in St. Louis, and that's kind of what people are into. But um, I got to ask your take here then. So, you know, an Amari aficionado such as yourself, um, <laughs> do you think that if we blind tasted some folks in the industry who enjoy the category as well on Jägermeister, they might enjoy it more than its reputation uh, maybe allows it to? Do you think that that is the case? Hands down, I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think it's. Don't a tell me complex. you don't like Jagger. Exactly. You love Amari. Get out of here. <laughs> you like Jagger. It's. Ex- I like Jagger. <laughs> I'll just be honest. <laughs> It's it's Good. it's an oddity, but yeah, I I love it. I'm glad we're on the same uh, we're on the same page there. One hundred percent. Yeah, I'd subscribe to that magazine. Good. Yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. do, let's start blind tasting uh, bartenders. Yeah, the the, the Jaeger test. Um, <laughs> question number two here for you: Which ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Such a good question. I think if we're you know, pardon me as I get into more of an intangible, but community is a tool. Mm-hmm. And I, I have forgotten that myself in many moments, not just remember that you can make the best drink in the world and you can use all of your tools and have all the cool stuff, right? You can have, you know, the sous vide and, um, you know, the rotovap and everything that you could ever desire. But if you don't have guests in front of you, there's no point. And you don't have a community, like it just seems empty mm-hmm. to me. And not only that, but it's so important, and I forget, because you don't have to do it alone. There's a huge community out there of people um, and resources, especially now in 2024. Uh, USBG, Tales of the Cocktail, Run Amok. Um, Tara Fogner just does like a Facebook page for people Um that you can reach out to and ask questions and reach out to the, to the people in your community. And I try to keep myself open too, because I remember being fearful of asking questions and not knowing who to go to and not wanting to bother people. Right. Mm -hmm. But honestly, like I find people to really want to help and also community and your regulars. I have so many regulars and people in the bar that my God, they, I mean, they changed my life. They changed my life. They've become lifelong friends. Wow. And people that you can really trust and hold on to. So to get really mushy and emotional, (laughs) but I believe it is such an important tool is community, Mm -hmm. hands down. That's a really, really great answer. And, you know, to your point about the, the bartending community, you know, at large, I would struggle to think of another industry that is so much... Uh, kind of, let's say, open source with their proprietary, uh, with what they're selling, right? With with yeah. your products, right? Like the sharing of recipes and time and things like this, it's it's phenomenal because you just wouldn't, you don't get that uh, in much else. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, it's a really great answer. All right, number three here for you now. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Oh, um, there's so much. Uh, I remember when I, I, you know, I never forget this moment. So my, I worked when I was super young, my dad put me to work at, he was a general manager at a country club and I was working with Dean who was his bartender and I was just cocktail waitressing at the time into the cigar lounge. I was so nervous, like, because I was like, it was scary, you know, I'm a young 
I'm going into the cigar lounge with all these dudes, you know, Dean's there. And he's like, Hey, everything's going to be all right. I was like, okay. And he's like, if I can give you any advice, he's like, remember the drink to the face. You don't have to remember their name. Just remember the drink to the face. And I was like, okay. And I went in there and that's what I like. And, and from then on, I just, that's, I always remembered that. Like I have constantly, when I'm bartending, remember the person's face, the moment and the drink that they were drinking. And it's really helped create um, a bridge between me and a guest, a guest, you know, a guest and I to, you know, fortify kind of a relationship. And then you do then remember the name and remember all of the information that they have and the, who they are. Um, and I, I found it help, help super helpful because I mean, what's cooler than walking into a bar and your bartender just puts your drink right in front of you and you didn't even order. It was pretty cool. It's, it's so, it's baller. That is when, when, you know, yeah. uh, being on the receiving side of that or yeah, having, having someone know your order before, just, you know, by, by right. your face, as you mentioned there, it's, Again, it speaks to that community. Yeah, that's what it is. And it was a it was a way for me to make a connection with a guest. And that's kind of where I took it. Mm -hmm. um, and so from then on, it kind of changed, you know, it, 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 it didn't change. It just built my philosophy behind bartending mm -hmm. and, and creating um, a space for people. Fantastic. I love it. Cheers, Dean, for that one. Yeah, man. That's cool. <laughs> Penultimate question today. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? Hmm. Would it, would it, is it around today or could it be like any? It can be any era. It can be any, can be fictional. It doesn't need to have ever existed. That'd be cool. Um, wow. So many options. Um, gosh, I'm so mushy and predictable. So, uh, this, <laughs> um, the bar that I worked in Chicago called Ombra, if I could recreate a slice of time to be back at that bar and the community that was around there and the feelings that we gave to each other and the connections, I'm still friends with like these regulars and the people that I worked with, um, Ombra. Now, Marty Fossey, who owned Ombra still owns Antiprima, which is a couple doors down. But this bar is no longer. And I had these, like, you could open up these windows, these two big windows, and I'd put in these, like, pieces, and you can sit outside at the bar and inside. So, and then people walking down the street from the farmer's market would come in, people with their dogs, everybody just saying hey to each other. Um... And, you know, yeah, I, you know, it was a lot of wine and Italian, you know, cocktails, lots of Negronis going mm. around, which, you know, I'm happy about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's usually, and Cicchetti, which is Italian, you know, kind of bar food and wood-fired pizza and, and the people. Wow. Yeah, man, it was, honestly, that's what it's about for me. That sounds great. Fe that feeling. Yeah, it, You know, it's so interesting here. Again, we, we should stick, like, we might as well stick to this theme of community uh, as we're chatting this through. You know what's <laughs> funny? Just listening to you say that made me think about, you know, all of the guests that we've had on the show and all the people that have answered that question. And it's so often, if not always, people are talking about the the people behind something or the people that they worked with somewhere. No one ever starts that question or answers that question and beginning with, the quality of the drinks and oftentimes the, the the quality of the drinks or the drinks themselves never come into it and i think that basically highlights why we love going to bars or working at bars and things like that it's uh you know truly the third space as we like to say absolutely i absolutely agree mm -hmm. i mean i just think about like <laughs> you know the first moments of uh humanity being like oh i made this weird drink or food and this drink makes me feel kind of funny. You want to, you want to drink it with me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that sharing, you know, like, that sharing moment being like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a beautiful part of a humanity. Um, it's funny that that's what you think of. Cause sadly my mind often I've thought about that a lot, but I'm generally yeah. thinking more about what did the first person who had a hangover think 
Oh, <laughs> what are they thinking the next day? Um, I've got to share this hangover with someone else. They're, they're, they're probably like, I'm dying. I'm definitely dying. You're definitely dying. <laughs> it's crazy uh, to be a fly on a wall for that one. Um, yeah. We're going to talk drinks now, though, with the final question of the day, Meredith. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Hmm. Last drink. I, I'd, I'd have to say a Negroni. I'm sorry, 20th century uh, cocktail. I, I have to have a Negroni. Interesting. And it's, I'm equal, equal parts, and I want it on a large rock. Fantastic. Yeah, that is. That's how I feel. It's certainly an iconic one. I'll say that. It is. It's iconic, and I, I don't want to be so, uh, so basic to say a Negroni, <laughs> but I can't help how I feel. It is. It's my go-to. It's what I pour at home. It's just, you know, easy and, mm-hmm. uh, and tasty and satisfying. Bitter, <laughs> sweet, botanical. It just, it hits it. Hits it for me. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Meredith, <laughs> thank you so much for embarking on this journey with us today. Uh, we're pulling into the station right now, slightly quicker than the old uh, 20th Century Limited would have done from uh, <laughs> Chicago to New York or vice versa. But, uh, it's been a blast. Please stop by stop by the show again sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's really uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I could talk cocktails all day, so thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm getting off board, you know. The train. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> all right then. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Cocktail College podcast. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it. Go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vine Pear team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Greenberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. Cocktail College is brought to you today by Tanqueray. Make a spectacular something out of almost anything. Let a Tanqueray cocktail elevate your moment from, oh, nothing fancy, into damn fancy. When sipping a Tanqueray Martini Negroni or whatever your favorite cocktail is, you can't help but feel damn fancy. It's no mistake the iconic green bottle is shaped like a cocktail shaker. Because Tanqueray elevates cocktails to create a unique and memorable experience. Head to www.tanqueray.com today to get damn fancy cocktail inspiration from Tanqueray.